0: Welcome to another special episode of the Nerd Byword podcast here. Yeah, we're going Spanglish again today because we have Mr. Jared Lujan, who uh, has a current Kickstarter going on. It's been fully funded, but if you want to be a part of this awesome project, Twin Blades. I mean, like, here's the selling point, guys. Aztecs and swords. Like, what more do you need? Uh, so, Twin Blades. We're going to sit down in our Byword Big Talk segment with author... Jared Lujan, and, and be able to, to talk about that project. But first, it's not a complete episode without the nerd news segment. Dave, you got a, do- uh, a ghost story for us this week. What's going on?
1: You know, in the gaming wars, uh, if you will, between Sony and Microsoft, Sony appears to have had an edge for quite a while uh, due to its stable of exclusive original games. And one of those games is about to become a big screen movie. Samurai game Ghost of Tsushima uh, is said to be directed by John Wick director Chad Stalesky. Uh, Asad Quizabash, head of PlayStation Production, said, We love working with creative partners like Chad, who have a passion for our games, ensuring we can create rich adaptations that will excite our fans and new audiences. End quote. The game focuses on Jin Sakai as he tries to protect his homeland during the Mongol invasion. The open world looks fantastic, although I've not had a chance to play the game myself yet. Here's the thing, though. I love Japanese cinema, particularly Akira Kurosawa movies, which this game apparently homaged quite a bit. So I'm really psyched to see that a movie might be coming out based on a video game that is basically an extended homage to Akira Kurosawa movies. I can only imagine Uh, the visual style that we'll get to see on the big screen will also be paying homage to this fantastic director. So I'm, I'm really excited for this movie, almost more so than the game. Uh, now really Sony, let's get horizon zero dawn as a movie into production and you can shut up and take my money. Chris, what do you think?
0: (laughs) Yeah, so again, here I am uh, a Microsoft and now Nintendo gamer and I've always been on the outside looking in at Sony. And even more so than like the, the Spider-Man games even, this game was the one that almost made me, you know, pursue a, a PlayStation console because I love Japanese culture. I it's so rich and its history is just so fascinating. That that entire code, samurai code of honor. I mean, I'm such a huge Tmnt fan and and that's in large part to the the influence of Japanese culture on, on the title, so oh man, I'm I'm so torn, but at least I can watch the movie without having to buy a console, so I'm, I'm super excited for this one, man.
1: Yeah, and, and really, anytime you look at a game trailer, it just looks fantastic. I have you know, a PS4 sitting uh, in my living room, and I just haven't gotten around to picking this game up, although it seems to be so far up my alley, it's not even funny. I mean, it's combining some of my all-time favorite things. I mean, there's video gaming, there's Japanese culture, there's history, there's swords. I mean, it, it, it looks absolutely fantastic. And of course, then, you know, the homage is to Akira Kurosawa, so you know, I'm all about this I have high hopes for this movie. I hope it makes it through development, and we'll get to see it in a few years on the big screen. Now, Chris, you have an interesting news story that I have quite a bit to say about today. What have you got for us?
0: Oh, man. August 6th can't come fast enough. And and this, we're both fully vaccinated now against COVID-19. This may be our first visit to the theaters um, as a dynamic duo in a long time. But fans were treated to their first look at James Gunn's The Suicide Squad and, needless to say, did not disappoint. And this was textbook James Gunn, man. Think of it like an R-rated version of the Guardians of the Galaxy. There's classic rock, there's cracking wise, badassery, um, and dick jokes abound in this three-minute preview of the film. The cast, which we already knew was top-notch, really seems to deliver here. I'm, I'm really interested, uh, even the little bite-sized bit of chemistry that we saw. Um, I- I'm really excited to see how that you know develops over the full-length film. John Cena and Idris Elba were the standouts for me. Uh, scratch that. This is King Shark's world, and we're just living in it. <laughs> Clearly... The, the far away winner of this trailer. Margot Robbie continues to shine as Harley Quinn. Um, I really want to go watch Birds of Prey again. Um, and I can't wait to see more of Peter Capaldi and Michael Rooker as whatever those weird ass characters were. Um, this is a heavy dose of weird Hodgepods awesomeness. And I simply cannot wait, man.
1: Yeah, I mean, what more can I say to that? I am so very excited for this movie. The first Suicide Squad movie, for whatever reason, simply didn't work. The actors were working their butts off, but the script just wasn't quite there, I guess. It was such a disappointment for me, and I had such high hopes for it. This, on the other hand, this is James Gunn's baby, and I've made no secret out of the fact that I love this guy's work ever since I first encountered the movie Slither. I have been just absorbing James Gunn movies, anything that I can get my hands on. His Guardians of the Galaxy movies truly captured my imagination and to me at least are just basically an extended homage to Farscape, one of my all-time favorite uh, television series. I cannot wait to see his take on Suicide Squad. What I love most about Gunn is that he's so willing to take obscure characters like, you know, Polka Dot Man and put his unique stamp on them. And I'm so psyched to see what he does with some of the characters here. Then there's the fact that his take, both visually and dialogue wise, on Harley Quinn is starting to already feel like one of my favorites since the original. I always hated how subsequent writers and artists tried to, you know, sex up Harley to turn her into some kind of male fantasy. Birds of Prey, I think, was a step in the right direction when it comes to this problem. And Gunn, at least from what we've seen so far, Seems poised to continue this trend. So I'm really excited for this. The humor, you know, gross out and firmly tongue in cheek, really landed for me. The characters look fantastic. And the bad guy revealed at the end of the trailer is a freaking legend in DC Comics that I cannot wait to see on the big screen. So, in short, I'm all in, man. I, I need to see this.
0: Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I'm president and CEO and founder of of the Idris Elba fan club and just seeing him like take the lead in this as as this character of Bloodsport that I know absolutely nothing about, and and I totally echo what you say about Gun. He's just going to take the most obscure characters that you know absolutely nothing about and turn them into your absolute favorites. And and you know, bringing Michael Rooker along, his brother Sean, like it's it's like getting the band back together, but then like also going on a different tour that you never knew was possible. I'm super psyched. All right, that wraps up our Nerd News segment. When we come back from this, our first break, we're going to sit down with Jared Lujan and talk about swords and Aztecs. Twin Blades is coming up. Welcome back, nerds. Uh, For today's ByWord Big Talk, we're joined by Jared Lujan, uh, author of the upcoming Kickstarter project, uh, The Twin Blades. Jared, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Uh, Thank you guys for having me.
0: So we always like to start our interviews with our guests' nerd origin story. When did you first realize you were a nerd, and what were the strongest influences from the nerd world for you?
2: Um, I think I think I've been a nerd my whole life. Uh, I, like my mom made me watch Star Wars when I was like six years old, and I was just like hooked immediately. So uh, Star Wars is definitely the biggest uh, like nerd sort of thing that I have. Um, it's my the thing like I'm super passionate about. So that's that's easily. The the only answer there. Six years old. Star Wars. Watched episode four and been hooked ever since. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, uh, what set you on the path towards becoming a creator yourself and a writer?
2: Um, a few things. Like, I I really I think I've just sort of had a knack for storytelling. Um, it's something that I've always enjoyed. Is I guess what I mean. Uh, it's I really liked. I grew up reading a lot. I grew up. Uh, really liking, you know, movies and TV shows and things like that. And it just took me a while to figure out what exactly I wanted to how I wanted to tell stories. Uh, And so it was really a matter of I got really into manga in middle school. And uh, that sort of transitioned me into comics. And that's where I just kind of found my knack. Uh, I've been in and out of comics, you know, really, really intensely for about, I was for about ten years, and then I've been as of five years ago. It's been an every Wednesday thing for me ever since. So, have you
0: worked uh, on any comics before Twin Blades? Uh, What's your writing career uh, look like before this project here?
2: Yeah, so I I, uh, back in I got into writing comics uh, as as like a as a real intense thing about 2016. Um, I was mainly doing uh, small indie comics just like small five or six pagers and I wound up uh getting into the talent search for Mad Cave Studios in 2019 so uh, my 1st miniseries was through them uh it was called Dryfoot and we just wrapped that up back in February as a matter of fact the trade came out in February and uh, this is my my follow-up project to that as a matter of fact.
1: Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about the the Mad Cave Studios talent search what was that process like for you?
2: It, it was great. I, I really walked, I love Mad Cave. Uh, they've been so good to me and in, in so many ways, but so I, uh, Mad Cave ran their first one, I think in 2018, uh, I lost that one. <laughs> I definitely tried and lost. And then um, in 2019, I got convinced by uh, my buddy, Anthony Cleveland, who, who was also a winner. He wrote Shows End and Stargazer um, for Mad Cave, but he, he convinced me to give it another shot and I won and uh so like we we they kind of just gave me a general idea of what story they had in mind like we had characters and really basic plot idea and i just kind of took that and ran with it and that became dry foot but um yeah matt caves talent search is is really really amazing uh they are a really fantastic company full of fantastic people it was a great the whole process of it you know they really put it's really hard, I think, for like publishing companies to put their energy and their weight behind and money, you know, behind uh, smaller co- creators, you know, in their first miniseries. And Mad Cave did that for me in the middle of the COVID nineteen stuff. You know, Dryfoot was originally announced um, last February, and then it and the Diamond shutdown happened, <laughs> and so they didn't back down from it. They they kept us working. They kept us they kept marketing the book, and we got a new release date that I believe was man a lot last July. And, uh, yeah. And so it was great. It was a really, really crazy process. It's a really crazy time to break into comics, I think, but it was a really, really, uh, great process and great, great time.
0: All right. So, which brings us to, um, the reason we're here today, Twin Blades. Um, what's the elevator, uh, elevator pitch for this comic? Tell us all about it.
2: Um, Mexicans with Swords is my elevator. Pitch. I'm, in. I'm in. I'm sold. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's so Twin Blades like started off as a as a Twitter joke. Um I I had said something like uh major comic publishers really want, you know, these really in-depth immigration stories and I just want to give Mexican swords and Twitter blew up. Like it just exploded. My uh, my notifications were were killed for like 2 days. So um And it, I was kind of like, at the time I only had like the baby idea of twin blades. And after that I was like, Oh, I've got to put a bunch more energy into this now. Like now I have to, to figure out how to do it. But it's, it's a, it's a really cool little book. I know that's way more than an elevator pitch, but uh, it's a really great book about, you know, Aztec mythos. And there's a little bit of science fiction in there. And it's about, you know, family, these two twins that have like kind of an estranged relationship. And, uh, but they share this responsibility for these two magical swords. Um, and we just kind of see it's a story about, you know, family, about believing in yourself and your purpose on Earth and magic swords.
1: <laughs> <laughs> now, your uh, Kickstarter page teases that the book blends science fiction and Aztec mythology. Besides Star Wars, what do you consider to be uh, a strong influence on your take on science fiction?
2: Yeah, I, I, I think, uh, so like comic, well, I mean, every, I'm just going to go with everything. So like East of West, I think is one of my most influential sci-fi things. Um, Rant is a novel by Chuck Palahniuk that I also really, really love. Uh, and then, uh, t- I'm obviously like a big fan. I don't know if that's obvious, but I'm a big fan of like the eighties movies, like a uh, Terminator, Alien and Predator, uh which all have like sort of this blend of, I mean, the first predator and aliens whole thing was like horror and science fiction kind of melding together. Um, I guess terminator as well, but I felt more like an action movie than, than anything, but like, and then infinity gauntlet is another one. Uh, Jim Starlin's original infinity gauntlet. Well, the, the first time I read that comic, it blew my mind. Like I was just stunned. And I think like the recurring theme in all of those is, is, in terms of like how it influences the way that I approach science fiction, is that it always makes science fiction really dirty. Like science fiction, I think sort of why I'm not a Star Trek person, and I know someone in here, someone's gonna hear this and they're gonna be like, Well, that's cause Star Wars is science fantasy, because that's what my uncle used to always tell me. But um, Star Trek is feels so clean to me. You know, everything it's it's so it's so focused on on elevating, you know science and and what its goals are and what its purpose is. I'm really interested in when people take that and they make it really dirty, really grimy, uh, and, and bring it down to like my level. And so that's, I think that's kind of where all of those things sort of have a similar theme in, is that they're all range from grandiose to, to really small and minimal, but uh, all of them really have a have a really dirty, grimy taste to the science fiction they present.
0: So I'm a huge mythology nut. It's it's one of my nerddoms. Um why did you decide to go with Aztec mythology in this story? Um why do you think uh the Aztec culture remains so interesting even, you know, hundreds of years later?
2: Yeah, I think I think part of it is that no one knows anything about the Aztec mythos, right? It's not it hasn't really penetrated the cultural zeitgeist sort of um we kind of hear a lot about uh you know greek and and roman and there's even a lot of egyptian uh mythos that we kind of people are really into and we all know their gods and zeus and yada yada but aztec mythology sort of has this different approach to it altogether. but it also has like its own pantheon it has its own set of gods and their own purposes it has its own creation myths um i think in terms of like why, why did I decide to incorporate it? My my family, the, the Mexican side of my family is very proudly descended, to, has an Aztec bloodline um, where we, we have a direct familial relation to that kind of culture and that ancestry. And that's something that I'm really proud of and I've always been really proud of. And so I really wanted to kind of bring that to the forefront and share that because it's such a really cool new take. It's, it's such a wildly different departure from what we know about mythology in general. Uh, with how the Aztecs handle it, handle it in terms of like culturally relevant. I always, I think Aztec mythology has like this really positive uh, like, Aztecs had a different view of death, right? That that death wasn't the conclusion of existence and in a different way than I think we interpret it in terms of like the contemporary Judeo-Christian approach to it. Um, I think like the Aztecs really believed in in an afterlife that was kind of a continuation more than anything else. And I really find that as something that's culturally fascinating is is this different uh, morbid approach, well, not even morbid, this different approach to death, you know, that that's really where everybody knows uh, Dia de los Muertos is a really popular holiday in Mexico. And that's where its origins come from is this Aztec approach to and view of death. And I think that's always gonna be something that is culturally relevant and that maybe that that view is a little bit morbid but i find that i find the the aztec approach to it to be not just positive but um, refreshing i think is the word
1: <laughs> so how did you go about actually doing you know research into aztec mythology so you uh, have a jumping off point for this book what was your process like
2: i read a lot i read a, a, a ton of books by people that were smarter than me the good news is that I have, um, I, I spent a lot of time studying that on my own free time for several years, uh, since I was 18. So I have this really wide background in that sort of mythology, and I really was just trying to condense it. Once I figured out I really wanted it to take place with the Nastec mythos, because the first couple of, of, of ideas of, of the Twin Blades were really different and I really wanted to incorporate the Aztec mythos. So after I figured that out, I was like, okay, so I've got to narrow it down. And that narrowing down brought me to uh, the myth of um, Xolotl at the, at the creation of the fifth sun, where uh, he cries his, he, Xolotl refuses to sacrifice himself uh, to create the fifth sun. And he actually hides as a maize plant. And um, he ends up being so ashamed by it that he cries his eyes out and they literally fall from his head. And that's what the twin blades are made out of. It's, it, they're literally forged from Sholotul's eyes. And so uh, once I figured out what I wanted to do, it was just really narrowing it down to where can I incorporate this? How can I add to the myth? Right. Because I don't want to change anything. I don't want to disrespect the mythology. I want to just kind of make an addition to it. Uh, And so that was kind of where I I started off on, but, but yeah, the short answer is, is a lot, a lot, a lot of reading by people that are have spent their whole lives studying this that are smarter than me.
0: (laughs) So tell us a little bit about the artist that you're working with on twin blades, Julio Suarez. Uh, how did you connect and what makes uh, this person the perfect artist for the book?
2: Yeah. Uh, I found Julio on Twitter as a matter of fact, um, he, he's, he's a, a really, really talented artist. He is really, really clever. And uh, one of the things that I decided on with the twin blades is that I wanted to do it with an artist, a specifically Mexican artist who, who shared that cultural importance and that cultural respect that I did. Um, and Julio fits that bill. Uh, so he, he lives in Mexico city where the story takes place. Uh, which is obviously an extra extra bonus points, <laughs> but Julio was also very very into and and very proud of the Aztec um, origins that 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 he has, and so we kind of uh, just kind of really clicked together when I sent him the project, he was super into it, and uh, or I want to send him the pitch for it, he was super into it, and we just kind of worked from there. Um, it was a really collaborative effort figuring out everything that we wanted to do, and it was it was a really really good and process in terms of like. It was just like a perfect link up between our personalities, what we wanted to do with the story, and uh, and our respect and love for for our our backgrounds and our culture.
1: Now, Twin Blades is created uh, by an entirely Latinx team. Why do you think representation in comics, uh, Latinx creators telling Latinx stories, is so very important?
2: Oh man, do we have enough time for this answer? Let's well, just um... to
1: expound. Take your time. <laughs>
2: Yeah, no, no, um I, I'm joking mainly. Uh the the I think whenever I, I see stories that really heavily involve Lat Lat Latin or Latinx characters, um it's usually in the context of either one drug cartels, um, two Dio de los Muertos or three um immigration and that's sort of like, it's just bland. It's just bland. And I don't have any disrespect to anybody doing an immigration story. Like, I think those are super important. And if you're, I have friends that are writing immigration stories right now, as a matter of fact, and I respect that. And I respect that the the cultural relevancy that that has. I think that the problem comes in with publishers who only want to publish that story because they only see Latin demographics. As immigrants, and I think that's a huge issue. And I really just wanted to tell a story that was like even Dryfoot, you know, to to its own extent, and and to be like a little self critical. Dryfoot ends is is a really heavy story, and I really just wanted to make something that could be fun. That, that it was a Latine story created by Latine creators that was fun, and that we could have a good time creating. And it wasn't something super grounded in reality. It wasn't something. About immigration, and nobody wears a sugar skull or anything like that, and and we just have fun with it, and so that's kind of where um, I, I think that you get not just a more authentic approach to the storytelling and how we represent our our people, but you get a a, a more authentic and a better and a new story. I don't think there's anything quite like Twin Blades uh, that's ever that's in comics at least. And uh I think that's something that's it's new and it's fresh and it's gonna be a really, really fun story for a lot of people.
0: And and I think that's a fascinating development. I think of you know the recent release of Raya and the Last Dragon and and how a lot of people who are of, of South Asian ancestry are saying that, you know, Asian culture is not this monolith, it's not just this this one thing. And and you know, from my background, you know, um, you know, teaching Spanish and and uh latinx culture and and you know showing kids and, and trying to be that go between where like it's it's so much more than than what you see in pop culture and and like when when i try to show them that like yes they have like day-to-day type of things that you can relate to and it's just not like like you said sugar skulls and and just like you know cartoony type stuff that it is just really I, I think the more that we include diverse voices uh, diverse voices in in the creative process the the more stories that are going to get told from an authentic standpoint and and just so much growth is going to come as a
2: result yeah so and like going off of that you know like sugar schools and immigration, or Sugar Schools and, and Dio de los Muertos, while, while those are, are fine, and I don't have any issues with them culturally, you know, it's not all of Latin America. <laughs> like, you know, like someone in in and even when it comes to like the twin blades, right? Like we Aztecs didn't have a a, a monopoly on the on the, the indigenous culture in that region. You know, there was the Mayans and the Incas who had their own different cultures and smaller tribes and things like that. That, that had different representations and different ideas of, of creation and things like that. So, yeah, I mean, I 100 percent agree. Like, we, we have to have something that's that diversifies how we present Latin America in terms of like how someone from Chile and Ecuador and Venezuela and Brazil, all these different interpretations of our of our culture and our ancestry and things like that, I think is, 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 is absolutely an important thing.
1: So tell us a little bit about your Kickstarter for Twin Blades. What are your goals? What rewards can backers look forward to?
2: Yeah, um, the Twin Blades Kickstarter is is launching uh, on the sixteenth, uh, and so it should be live by the time that this goes goes up. Um, like we we're trying to get to thirty five hundred. Thirty five hundred is going to pay printing costs and it's going to pay the artists for um, the remaining of the artists. Uh, I'm not. Right at 3500 I'm not trying to make any money I'm just trying I personally I'm just trying to get the book made uh, which I don't I, which is has been like I, I don't really care because I've had a really fun time working on the big be- book so um, in terms of like rewards um you can get digital copies of the book you can get physical copies of the book uh, you can also if you're if you're a comic creator um, you can get a script review by me so um, up to thirty-two pages, I'll review your script, give you notes, tell you what I think. Um, I also have a creator workshop that I'm offering, um, where you can you and I can zoom or whatever uh, for thirty minutes. You can ask me questions. I think that's more for like people that are really just barely getting into the to the process. Um, so that you can ask questions, like if you if you don't know anything about like IP, or if you don't know how a script looks, or you don't know how to go about contacting artists, things like that, I can I can help with. Um, and uh, if you're not into those, if you just like comics, there's also you can get a bunch of signed Dryfoot stuff. Um, Dryfoot uh, number one sold out in like two days, <laughs> so I have first print copies of the of the cover. Um for people that were that are that I'm gonna sign and send out to people if they get that tier, you can also get both number one covers, the first print and the second print, and then um I've got one that's like the trade paperback uh, as lo- along with twin blades. so if you missed it and all you want to do is really read it, that's a perfect tier for you. Um, I also have like one that I've been calling the ultimate dry foot twin blades tier where it's like every cover of dryfoot and the trade and twin blades and all of it you can get all of it in one fell swoop so. Uh, there's a lot of stuff on there. It's really, really cool. Uh so yeah, I really hope I I think there's like a lot to offer people, hopefully. <laughs> uh
0: crowdfunding has become extremely uh popular, even among professional published comic book writers. What are your thoughts on that whole ordeal? Do you think crowdfunding sites like Kickstarter should be reserved for the up-and-coming talent, the indie folks, or is it more of the merrier?
2: I I'm really comfortably in in the side of that kickstarter should be for the indie side of the industry um i don't think keanu reeves or scott snyder need a kickstarter um but you know like to 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 the to the credit at the point it, it is like kickstarter wasn't necessarily designed for that right there's nothing that stops them from using it so if you're A company, and that's what you're going to use it for, and they let you, then, like, you know, whatever, point to you, I guess. You know, it doesn't something, it's not something that's going to keep me up at night. But um, I have a lot of friends, I have a lot of indie friends, and a lot of people that feel that, like, Scott Snyder and Keanu Reeves and the Power Rangers being on Kickstarter is a good thing. And then that's, and they think that it draws people to Kickstarter uh, to find comics. I don't personally think I see that. Um, I don't think that I, I've experienced that, uh, personally and like the way that I've seen my friends, Kickstarters do and the way their analytics come up. But, you know, I, I think it should be reserved for Indies. I think if you can get a book at image, just with a phone call, you probably don't need to be someone who crowdfunds their book, but you know, it, it is what it is. It's if, it's as long as it's not against the rules, I'm not, I'm not going to make a big stink about it. <laughs>
1: So what is your overall vision for Twin Blades? Do you have hopes or plans to continue the the book beyond the first 44 page story, or is this sort of a done in one situation?
2: Well, I don't know. I, I think it depends on how much, how much, how popular and if people like it. Uh, there's always, you know, the thing, the thing about the Twin Blades is that it's a, it starts off with, you know, two magic swords and they've existed forever and, um, so there's a lot of history uh that we could explore there's a lot of of situations that we could kind of take a look at and what would this be in this scenario um I wrote it as a one shot i meant I meant for it to be one and done and but it does leave off with maybe there being some potential for more so um I would personally love to do more uh if if that's something that I think we could we could fund you know but right now, I do have um I'm I'm planning one more Kickstarter, one shot this year. And I've got like a bunch of anthology work. And um, so, you know, in terms of like it coming out, it's really going to, in terms of prioritizing it, it's going to, I'm going to have to see a pretty, pretty crazy response.
1: <laughs> I see that's really interesting because uh, I've been over the last few days kind of embroiled in a bit of a discussion uh, on social media with various other comic book fans about the notion of, you know, uh, storytelling where you kind of leave it all on the on the table and, and tell a complete story versus saving things for subsequent you know potential sequels and whether it's smart to hold back something how do you feel about that
2: um i i think that oh, man it's hard because like as, as if you're if you're an indie person and you're smart you want readers to have to have more reason to come back right but I really do embrace the philosophy of of coming in, telling the story you want to tell and getting out. You know, Dryfoot has a pretty conclusive ending. Um so and that was my first book, which maybe isn't the best idea, but it, it, I did it. So, um we we came in, we told the story we wanted to tell, we got out. But like Twin Blades, um I wrote it as a one-shot and I don't know if I have an idea for a sequel. And so like what I was saying is is you know, I could do uh, there's, there's several other history. There's a history of wielders. It's not just these two. So we could kind of explore something else. I, I think as a storyteller, I, I think it's better to come in and, and be done with it. Um, to me, especially if you're an indie person, like I, I understand that financially as a career, it might be a better move to keep readers wanting more. But you have no guarantee that you're going to be able to finish that story. You know, there's, you can get a five page green light or a five issue green light, but your story takes 12 issues. You know, that seems like something you might just want to put on the back burner until you know that you're good at your, you're popular enough where you can get 12 issues instead. Um, Cause otherwise I would, that would drive me crazy. Maybe, maybe it's just me that I would, I know that would drive me up a wall. If I had, you know, had a 12 page, a 12 issue story and it, it had to get cut short early and all I got to do was like a four or five issue part of it. And so... I don't know. I I think, uh, I think the best, the best thing for me creatively is come in, do whatever I want to do and then get out. So I'm like right now, whenever I do pitch, I don't even pitch anything over four or five issues. Um, everything that I have that's larger than that, I'm saving for one day. I'm hopefully allowed to.
0: (laughs) So do you have any other current projects that are cooking that you can tease our audience?
2: Yeah. Uh, I have a four issue, uh, sci-fi story, uh, big sci-fi story that's coming out through another publisher, not Mad Cave. Um, it's going to be a, it's like a, it's like Die Hard meets Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, so that'll come out. Um, I think that's coming out in the summer of this year, and um, that's going to be a four-issue miniseries. So i'm not allowed to say anything else because i have an nda and i'm sorry but uh that's going to be really cool uh it's it's a really really funny goofy story and i'm really excited for it Um, i've also got uh, stories in the big hype anthology that's about to wrap up i've got another one in yule uh, which launches on kickstarter in april um that's another aztec story it's an aztec horror story and um i think uh I've got another Kickstarter coming out that's probably going to be in the summer. I don't have um, enough details to really be able to tell people that one yet. Uh, I really like keeping the Kickstarter stuff close to my chest. So, um, but uh, yeah, if that's something, if you think the Twin Blades looks cool, if you thought Dryfoot was good, it's going to be something that's very different from both of them, but it's it's really exciting.
1: And uh, where can people go to support you and your work and keep up with your future projects? Where can they find you online?
2: Yeah. So I have uh, my Twitter is I'm, I'm really active on Twitter um, at Jared Lujan, uh, J-A-R-R-E-D-L-U-J-A-N. And um, I'm really active on Twitter. I'm on Instagram at the exact same handle um, where I pretty much just post pictures of my dog. Um, but she's cute. So that's cool. You know, that helps. Uh, I also have a mailing list that I, I, I have a newsletter. Uh, I send out an email once a month on the first of every month uh that is available on my website which is uh uh writes like you're writing a letter and uh you can go there you can read a bunch of my early free short comics uh you can sign up for my newsletter you can get more details about dryfoot um there's plenty of stuff there learn a little bit more about me i guess uh i have a really short bio on there
0: that wraps up our byword big talk thank you so much jared for joining us today and best of luck with your kickstarter
2: Oh, thank you
0: all for having me. All right, that wraps up our Byword Big Talk. Thanks to Jared Lujan. Be sure to go to check out Twin Blades, now available on Kickstarter. I'm a supporter. Make sure that you are too. And get some awesome, awesome content. When we come back from this, our final break, we're going to hit you with two more patented nerd commendations. All right, we are here for our final segment, Nerd Commodations. Dave, you're headed back to the Infinite Frontier. What's on the agenda for you?
1: You know, time for something innovative, for something interesting, for something that's just plain fun. Batman Superman number 16 is the first issue of the series that is part of DC Comics' Infinite Frontier initiative. And if this is any indication of where DC is headed in the future, I have to say it's a good direction. The book, written by Gene Yang and art by Ivan Rice, tells two tales simultaneously. A story of Superman, starring Lois Lane and Jimmy Olsen, and a Batman and Robin story. Both appear influenced by the Golden Age and Silver Age of comics in both design and story. Structurally, the issue is fascinating. You have two film reels running across each page. The top reel tells the story of Superman, the bottom reel tells the story of Batman. As the story unfolds, it becomes increasingly clear that each story takes place in its own universe. In the Batman story, Superman appears to have died when his rocket crashed into Earth. In the Superman story, Batman's mother actually survived, and Bruce Wayne is basically a pampered coward. Still, the two stories converge in a fascinating climax that hints at more fascinating story yet to come. This book, Chris, simply sparks joy. It's tightly scripted with a light touch and a clear love of these characters and their history. Even the Batman component of the book contains some humor and a dash of optimism, something that modern Batman comic books seem to be pretty much devoid of. This is the kind of fun that I love to have while reading superhero comics. It's a great first issue to a new story arc and and really just a great indicator of the kind of stories that dc comics will be able to tell with their infinite frontier initiative so you know seeing these very alternate takes on batman and superman and 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 kind of seeing how they all uh, both of these takes are trying to converge it is absolutely fascinating uh, and i just i'm very excited to read the rest of the story it's a great 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 start
0: okay same question i had for nightwing last week um is this an easy enough jumping on point for new readers?
1: Yes, absolutely. There is uh, really no indication of what was going on in the first 15 issues of the series. It it feels like a completely fresh start, a uh, really great jumping on point. And the other thing about it is really that, you know, if you've not been a long-time DC reader and you're not really familiar with some of the other takes on the characters, I think this gives you actually a nice taste of a different kind of Superman and a different kind of Batman. A great example to Lex Luthor in the Superman story is not, in fact, businessman Lex Luthor, but harkens back more to the uh, old Lex Luthor, the bald, mad scientist. So there's really something there, uh, if if you like, the history of some of these characters. I'm a big fan of this issue. And if it continues in the same vein, I think this is going to be a winner.
0: That's definitely something. Uh, I I still have... uh... The issue zero or issue one of Infinite Frontier uh, that introduced all these new storylines that I def- that I have to check out. It's still sitting in a bag and board that I have to read, but I- I'm excited with this just this injection of life at-, at DC, and I'm super excited to check a lot of these titles
1: out. All right, Chris, what do you have for us this week? I'm excited to see uh, this particular nerd commendation. <laughs> oh.
0: All right, man. So, so usually we have nerd commendations that are like under the radar and stuff, but, but this is kind of, you kind of get a two for one thing here, because this is something that you nerd commended to me. And like, let's, let's just spend the next couple of minutes talking about how much we love Zelda Breath of the Wild, because like, uh, after the initial struggle of getting my bearings, not only just with the switch console, but like the the the, the layout and and like getting your necessary equipment and 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 acclimating yourself to, I, I felt a lot like Link after a hundred years of slumber, trying to figure out just which way was up. But once I got it, I mean, like, dude, this this might be my favorite video game of all time. It's got everything I want. Open world is my number one go to when it comes to like video games like you say open world I'm immediately interested and then you inject the elements of fantasy that I just went so many years without you know not having a lot of Zelda games just for one reason or another like it's it's everything I love about Lord of the Rings and and in fantasy novels that I've grown up with Uh, it's just so cool like the, the entire mythos of Hyrule and 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 what I think I appreciate about this this game, and I've literally done nothing else in my free time but play this game. Like I, I'm behind on comics, I'm behind on shows and movies. Like I've done nothing but play this game. Is and what I appreciated about the most is it's not this like extreme level of difficulty. It really just challenges you. It's almost like every task or every shrine or every boss fight is like a puzzle and you have to like stop and pause and think about how you want to approach it um and and so it's not like this whole boom smash crush like just you know bruiser your way through this game it really takes this level of intellect and like challenge to where once like you get through and you accomplish something, you really feel just like this sense of elation, and and like you feel really great about yourself. That like, yeah, I just did that. And, and so for the the first couple of shrines, for example, that you had to solve this puzzle or the trial, as as it as the game calls it, you know, you of course have to you know look up walkthrough videos and and you know articles, but. Once you kind of start to get used to it, like the tricks and the trade tricks of the trade, and like you're able to solve it without googling anything, or even if you like look up something, but you find a different way to accomplish the same goal, it's just so rewarding and it's so cool. I love everything about this game, and I'm probably not even like 25 percent through, uh, like the overall progress of it. So thank you, thank you, thank you for this game.
1: I'm telling you, I, I love Breath of the Wild. I love Zelda, period. And I really do think that Breath of the Wild may be my favorite game of all time. And and man, I've played a lot of video games. I've been doing this, this nerdy gaming thing since I was, you know, six years old. I've played every single Zelda game, and Breath of the Wild ranks even within Zelda games as one of my all-time favorites. You know, a lot has been said about weapons breaking in the game and how frustrating that is, and many people find it extremely annoying. And it's the point that uh, you know, a lot of people turn back from the game. And even I was taken aback when I first started playing it a little bit. But the more you play this game, the more you you get it. The game is not about brute force. It's about it's about strategy. It's about learning to use the environment about you know waiting till nightfall and sneaking up on a camp and using the element of surprise or or stealing your enemy's weapons so they can't really fight back there's so many different approaches and strategies if you you're looking at you know environmental uh, things you can use and and the Sheikah slate abilities that it is so much more of a cerebral game than a than a brute force game, even with the weapons since they are breaking, you constantly have to make smart choices you know i 'm going to save this weapon to use in this particular kind of fight i'll i'll I' rather use you know the weapons that are not as strong in these simpler fights, even though I might have to use a few more hits with them it it's very strategic and it 's very much a thinking adventurer's game um And the best thing about the game by far is that it is truly open. I mean, the climbing mechanic is really revolutionary. How many open world games have you played where there's just a, you know, a big mountain there and it's like, oh, I guess I can't go that way. I have to go, you know, this way instead. But man, here... You can go anywhere. Uh, once you get off of the uh, plateau that serves sort of as a tutorial, you can go anywhere and do anything w- that you want to do as long as you, you know, stock up with the right provisions. Oh, you don't have a lot of stamina? Well, make sure you make some food that replenishes your stamina and you can climb that tall mountain. Um, you know, there are some places you probably shouldn't go in the beginning, and there are things you probably shouldn't try to do unless you're powered up some first, but really nothing is stopping you. You could you know, take on some of the toughest enemies straight out of the gate after leaving the Great Plateau. It's truly your choice. Climb anything, go anywhere, explore anything. And that spirit of exploration, it just runs through the entire game and makes it such a joy every time I fire up this game. It's just like, what am I going to do now? You know, where am I going to go? Which area have I not explored? I bring up that map. I'm like, okay, I've not really gone to this corner of the world. I wonder what's there. And that that's truly the sense of an adventure game. I wonder what's over that next mountain. I wonder what's behind that next hill. I wonder what's across those woods or across that water. I'll just go and check it out. And that's really what makes this game a joy. God, I love this game, Chris. I cannot wait for the sequel. I wish there was some news on it. All we've gotten is a short teaser trailer. I've put 200 hours in this game, man. I'm ready for another one. Let's do this again.
0: Yeah, and 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 to your point, I I texted you this. Uh, I was super pissed about like breaking weapons and stuff. Like I had, you know, what I thought was was a very very good weapon. Um, you know, I I can't remember how I beat a boss or something to where I got like this really like, wow, this must be a really good sword. And I took down like five or six people and it broke. I was like, what the hell? This is supposed to be a really good sword. But you you absolutely nailed it. It's like y- you really just have to to go inside yourself and strategize. You're like, okay, so this one only takes eight, but it's more durable. So I can take out these, you know, four or five you know, peon characters, but I'm going to save this 45 that is a little less durable for the boss. And, and, and so it's just this extra layer of strategy, um, that, that it goes to it. And, and like the way you laid that out, it just it made me reminiscent of like being a kid and just going in your backyard or, or going to the park or, you know, like if you're in a wooded area and just that sense of adventure, I And mean, it makes you feel like a kid again. And, I just absolutely love it. And like the world that they've built, the the mythos, the, the, you know, the spirituality of the game is beautiful. Uh, I, I love everything about it. And I'm, I'm, as soon as we stop the recording right now, I'm going to go play it some more. All right. That wraps up another episode of the nerd by word podcast. We thank you so much for joining us today and putting up with our nerdery. Um, be sure to head to Kickstarter and search for twin blades with Jared Lujan, Thanks to Jared for his time today. Um, I mean, Aztecs and Swords, it doesn't get much better than that. Um, if you will, please, on your favorite podcasting app, leave us a five-star rating and review. Tell us what you'd like to see in the future, ideas for future episodes. Uh, you can find this podcast wherever you get yours, whether that's Apple Podca- uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, you know, or our website, nerdbyword.com.
1: And please find us on social media and let us know what you think of the show. You can give us suggestions, interact a little with us. We'd love to hear from you. We are on Twitter. Uh, our podcast is at Nerd by Word. We're also there individually at That Nerd Chris and at That Nerd Dave. Those same handles also apply, of course, to Instagram. And you can find us at on Facebook at The Nerd by Word. We'd love to hear from you guys.
0: I've teased this for a little while, but we have some free digital comics and, you know, free physical comics to give away. It's just taking a lot of time getting that sorted um, with with everything going on. But, But be sure to stick to our social feeds for ways that you can win that as well. And as always, stay well and stay nerdy.
1: The Nerd Byword is written and produced by Chris and Dave, two nerds with a love of all things pop culture. The podcast features music by Al Jimenez and show art by Ashri Design. Find us at nerdbyword.com and wherever podcasts are available.